Good afternoon, John. Good afternoon, Jim. Well, it's great to hear your voice in light of the troubles we were facing. <laughs> you mean the world troubles or our phone troubles? Our technical difficulties, as they would say on TV. <laughs> Boy, that brings back old memories. Yes, it does. Well, this afternoon, uh, we're dealing with episode number 18 of our podcast called The Apocalypse is Coming. And this episode, and probably the next one, is going to be an opportunity to do something different than what we've done in the past. That's right. Because I, I have in my hand your brand new book. And what that what is that book titled? <laughs> the Apocalypse is Coming. Hello. That sounds well, like your title. What a coincidence. So today we're going to do an interview of the author of the book, The Apocalypse is Coming, on our podcast called The Apocalypse is Coming. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, that won't be you interviewing me, that's for sure. I'm a writer, but not, not like you are. Well, in any case, uh, the subtitle of the book, which is brand new and just off the press, is titled uh, The Rise of the Antichrist, The Restrainer Removed, and Jesus Christ Victorious at Armageddon. All kinds of interesting words in that subtitle, but the title is The Apocalypse is Coming. I almost slipped earlier today and wrote The Apocalypse is Now or Here, <laughs> and I didn't want to get quite that specific. Well, you might not be far from the truth. Uh, let, me, let me put it this way. Things in the world are, are uh, degenerating at a rate that is, uh, I suspect, rather phenomenal. Uh, it is certainly the case. <clears throat> I think uh, anybody in America today, and perhaps abroad as well, would say that never before, at least since the history of the Civil War, have we seen three uh, great movements come together at the same time. It's what you could call, I guess, a, a perfect storm. We have the pandemic. Secondly, we have the uh, co-extensive uh, with the pandemic, the economic challenges and even collapse. We could certainly call it a recession, uh, maybe close to a depression. And thirdly, in the last uh, couple months, we have the rise of the protest movement that has <clears throat> morphed into a, a more of a uh, uh, anarchist movement with all kinds of challenges to our statues, uh, our uh, history, wanting to rewrite history, wanting to rename Washington, D.C., wanting to do all kinds of things uh, so that, uh, and even now I heard most recently rewriting the Constitution so that it reflects America today, as though uh, it is no longer applicable in the form it has been for 200 plus years. Jim, may I suggest that that is uh, not a part of the uh, third uh upheaval that you spoke about, but is great enough that it could be uh, one uh, of its own. And I would describe it as, uh, as a budding but uh, significant uh, cultural revolution, if you will. Um, and uh, it, it, it bodes uh, tremendously uh, ill for, uh, 
for the stability of the country uh, and our principles and our heritage uh, unless uh, God should be so gracious to find and deliver us a means of uh, heading it off. Yes, uh, the words cultural revolution recall the cultural revolution of China uh, back under Mao Zedong, wasn't, am I not correct? I believe so. And uh, in any case, that resulted in a, in a uh, topsy-turvy situation for China in which scores of millions of people died or were killed. And uh, it, it uh, led to uh, a reversion and an allowance of certain degrees of free enterprise in China, which is what is now existing today. So in any case, uh, it, it, the word con, uh, cultural revolution conjure up all kinds of uh, uh, matters that uh, really we don't want to see take place in this country, but uh, we'll, just, we'll, we'll see and wait upon uh, history and the Lord to show us uh, just how far reaching this may be. And John, I think that it will not be an on uh, easy, uh, well, let, let me say, to put it positive, positively, it will be an easy step to then challenge Christianity itself as being a white man's religion and therefore not representative and uh, acceptable to black people or people of color or whatever. And therefore we're going to see challenges to the evangelical church, evangelical Christian schools, uh, day schools, colleges, universities. Uh, so that's just uh, my, my guess into uh, the future, but it, wouldn't, it will not surprise me if that takes place. Well, I dare say that there uh, are any number of isolated instances that indicate that that has already begun. And if it isn't going to follow through completely right now, this certainly sets a precedent for another generation to come along and do so and go even farther or further. Oh, that's right. That's right. It's uh, once, the, once the barn door is open, you can expect that uh, any number of residents may attempt to escape. Yeah, so after these several minutes devoted to assessing and reflecting upon the times in which we live, it's appropriate that we come to what the Bible has to say about the end times. When we started this podcast, way back uh, 18 episodes a day, on the first day of April, April Fool's Day. Maybe that says something about us. I hope not. <laughs> I'm glad uh, you said it. We, we did an episode or two about what the end times are all about, and we covered some of these things then. But today we want to go into, uh, at my request, uh, the idea of an interview of me uh, that John is going to conduct. So this is something new to our podcast, and uh, I hope the listeners will enjoy it. John uh, is going to ask the questions and I'll do my best to answer them. Sometimes his questions are so far reaching and uh, comprehensive, I'm not sure I can respond, but I'll do my best. So John, go at it. Well, I, what I would like to do is ask some uh, preliminary questions of you, Jim, uh, regarding your book, which as I say, I don't know if you can hear that, but that's what it sounds like when I drop it on my desk. The, uh, the, the thing runs, uh, let me see, not including the uh, pages about the author at its conclusion, including the notes, it runs 453 pages. 
uh, uh, the next one will be your sequel to War and Peace, I suspect. Yes. <laughs> Jim, Jim, how is it that you decided to write a book focused on the person of the Antichrist and his rise and defeat in the end times? Well, that's a very appropriate question. It all started uh, a couple of years ago when I was teaching in my adult Sunday morning class at the church at Damascus Community Church in Damascus, Oregon. Uh, the epistles of uh, the Thessalonians, that is Paul's epistles to the Thessalonians, first and second. And as we came to second Thessalonians chapter two, in which Paul deals with a problem that had developed at Thessalonica, namely that the believers had gotten all excited and were deeply uh, riled up and turmoil, uh, in tumult about the day of the Lord. Somebody had been uh, teaching them that the day of the Lord had dawned, that they were living right up next to the return of Jesus Christ in power and glory. And so Paul takes up that issue and he says, uh, don't be so unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. I'm reading from the verses of chapter 2. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until two things happen. Until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, a man doomed to destruction. And at that point, Paul goes on and describes this man of lawlessness. So two things have to happen. The rebellion occurs and then the Antichrist is revealed. Those things have to precede the day of the Lord. And when I was teaching through this text then uh, a couple of years ago, I decided to uh, research that further. What does it mean for the man of lawlessness to be revealed and so forth? So that was the uh, prompting of my search into the Old Testament, and that led me straight to Daniel. And I came to realize that Daniel, uh, a tremendously important book in the Old Testament, talks about the mystery uh, of lawlessness in, a, in terminology of associated with the Antichrist and so forth. So that was the uh, kickoff for uh, looking into this topic of the Antichrist. And the more I read, the more I realized that uh, I knew little or not enough about the Antichrist. And that led me to explore and begin to write. And that started in January of 2019. During the course of that year, uh, I basically completed the book, uh, tending to it uh, off and on, uh, but usually on. And uh, my research and study uh, basically uh, culminated in January or February of this year, and I began searching for a publisher, and the end result is the book now that has been released, and it's available on, on uh, Amazon Books, and uh, uh, that's the story in a nutshell. Ding, ding, you're allowed to uh, give a plug as the author. Uh, <laughs> Jim, were there some, uh, you've written a number of books. Were there some special considerations that applied to the process of this one, uh, particularly because of its subject matter? Well, I think uh, I was compelled to be comprehensive and thorough. Uh, you know, along with this topic come all kinds of speculation. And we, every Christian has heard of, uh, prognostications or predictions about when the antichrist is going to appear who he is and so forth and yep. so i i was leery of getting into those kind of uh uh eddies side streets you might say uh but i wanted to be thorough 
And uh, I think it's fair to say that this may well be the most comprehensive study on the Antichrist, both from the Bible and from early church literature and from Old Testament false writings called the Pseudepigrapha, which are part of uh, Israel's uh, literature, although not canonical, not uh, authoritative scripture. Jim, in your, uh, in your prologue, you mentioned that there are three major aspects of the book and a fourth consideration. The three aspects are the appearance of the Antichrist. Uh, the second one is the concept of the term mystery and how it governs uh, end time events. And then the third aspect, which is quite, uh, uh, quite interesting, especially your take on it, is the identification of the restrainer, which is a, uh, a term that is used by Paul in 2 Thessalonians 2, uh, a little bit later on in that passage that you read at the beginning of our podcast today. And then, of course, that fourth consideration has to do, uh, according to your prologue, with uh, the proper means of uh, interpretation to be employed in uh, dealing with the text oh, oh. this particular subject. I'd like, if I might, uh, and uh, I suspect that there's enough uh, content here uh, to be addressed that we will not be concluding uh, in today's podcast, but we'll have to pick it up towards the end of next week. Uh, I'd like to ask uh, you some questions regarding those three major aspects and that fourth uh, consideration regarding uh, types of interpretation. If you might uh, indulge me as I ask you uh, those questions. Yes, and I, I'm glad that you picked those out from the prologue because all three of those go together. When I began the study of the Antichrist, I realized that a key to understanding Daniel and the rest of the prophecies about the Antichrist uh, hinge on the understanding of the word mystery that Daniel is unique in giving us this term in the Old Testament, and then it's repeated uh, 25 times. And then the other aspect is the restrainer. I discovered that uh, all of these things are deeply related and connected together. So the Antichrist, the idea of mystery at the uh, fulfillment of the end times and the restrainer, all are related together. And then, interestingly, I realized that my, you know, there's a tremendous confirmation of how we ought to interpret prophecy, whether in a so-called normal sense of the words, that is the literal sense, or in a figurative sense. And this, frankly, this last topic divides all of modern evangelicalism into uh, basically two camps. We either interpret prophecy according to a normal sense, by and large, or we look for a figurative meaning to all the prophecies concerning the second coming of Christ and the end times. So all these things are deeply related and sort of one led to the other. Jim, let's talk about the appearance of the Antichrist uh, to start off. You state in the prologue that in discussion of the end times, the person and work of the Antichrist is often given rather sh short shrift. Uh, why do you think that is so? Well, I think that there are negative reasons and positive reasons. Negatively, uh, there have been predictions about the Antichrist, who he is, when is he going to appear, and attempts to identify him either with uh, past characters on the stage of history or present ones or future ones about to be revealed. 
And so when those predictions fail and, and do so repeatedly, people sort of say, well, I've had enough of that. There's so much controversy over that issue. I'm not going to consider it any further. Yeah. And then more positively, uh, the, there, there's a whole segment of the Christian church that says, well, future things are so difficult to understand. They're basically a cloud and mysterious to us. And therefore, uh, there's no way to find the way to truth and understanding. And therefore, uh, again, people neglect this. So I think it's also, uh, and because of what I just said, is tied to major denominations. And may I suggest that denominations such as the Episcopalian Church, the Catholic Church, uh, the major uh, Lutheran denominations, and so forth, uh, all tend to uh, neglect prophecy for the very reason that I just stated, as well as for uh, uh, reasons that flow out of church history, all the way back to uh, the church father, Augustine, and then uh, in the Reformation writers and, and reformers such as Calvin, Luther, uh, Zwingli, and others, never got to eschatology as to re-examine uh, the Bible about those issues. So all kinds of reasons why there's such a neglect about end time stuff. And that includes the Antichrist then. Uh, Jim, I suppose that there's uh, uh, a lot of people that find it surprising that so much of the Antichrist's character and deeds are previewed in detail uh, in the Old Testament. And specifically, of course, in the book of Daniel. Why do you, do you have any uh, ideas as to why God found it appropriate to establish in prophecy this information so long before Christ's first advent or coming? And in fact, it, it was written, uh, I think, by reasonable uh, understanding of the history of uh, that book of Daniel, more than 500 years before Christ first appeared on the scene of history? Well, you know, there's so much I can say in response to that as uh, an answer. Uh, in the big picture of the Bible, we have God choosing a special people for his own, beginning with Abraham and his descendants. And immediately the promise is made to Abraham and the people who are joined to Abraham by faith, which includes both Gentiles and Jewish people, uh, that God would make of them, uh, of Abraham and, and his descendants, a great nation. And that uh, that uh, future history, future account, is centered around two great promises. One, that there would be a redemption. There, there would come a savior to deliver humankind from the fall into sin that has uh, subjugated the entire race to iniquity and judgment. Uh, that's one great uh, flow of uh, scripture. The other great flow is that there is a coming reign of God on earth. That is that not only is uh, uh, humanity going to be uh, saved uh, spiritually, but there's a wonderful royal destiny coming for all of God's people. So that indeed the fall is going to be rectified, not only by spiritual birth and rebirth, but also going to be rectified by the whole planet being revived and renewed according to God's original patterns. And the Bible calls this the new heavens and new earth. And that this in-between 
the realization of that will be God's rule on earth. So, but there is a time in history coming when the triumph of Christ at the cross works itself out into every detail of human life here on earth. So we just don't jump from earth, uh, pardon me, from salvation to eternity in heaven, but that God uh, validates his claim over the entire creation by redeeming all of it along with humanity. This is basically the message of Romans 8. So that's one big broad answer to this. Um, there are many other aspects I could mention and I deal with it uh, a little bit in the book. Uh, basically, I'm saying that the prophecy of the Antichrist and the end time events uh, all are bound together. And, and let, me, let me suggest this as well. Satan, as the great enemy of God, the one who rebelled against God and took with him a significant number of angels in rebelling against God in heaven. It has been Satan's attempt to ultimately take over humankind, bring them into his side, as it were, and defeat God's purposes in the earth. The flood was sent by God to uh, save uh, humanity from total destruction by God's rescuing one family, namely that of Noah and his family. Uh, and then Satan set about a new way to destroy uh, God's work among humanity. And uh, Jesus Christ came as a babe, grew up, had a ministry of healing, validating his messiahship and his divinity, went to the cross, died for the sins of mankind, he himself being the innocent one. Uh, but he took upon himself all of humanity's sins so that whoever believes in him uh, finds forgiveness, and, uh, and eternal life. But uh, during this time, uh, since the crucifixion and resurrection of our Lord, uh, God is calling out from among humanity a people for himself. Uh, but Satan is making extra effort to try to reclaim humanity uh, for himself. And this period culminating in the end times is God's final uh, uh, display of righteousness and justice and the defeat once and for all of Satan so that the history of the earth comes to a climax is finished then and we begin a whole new realm of reality. Uh, so uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is that uh, this age uh, in encompasses the final stage of history in which God is bringing the times of earth to a culmination and completion. The present great uh, influence of evil in the earth has to be brought to an end. God will finally triumph and uh, Satan defeated and forevermore uh, there will no longer be sin in God's realm. So uh, all of this works together to view the Bible as a complete picture pointing toward the end. And uh, the Antichrist is a significant part of this and as we learn about him, we learn about all the other uh, teachings and doctrines about the, about the end time, so that all of this is involved and tied together. Very it was good. sort of a long answer to your question. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It was, a, it was a broad question and intended yeah. to be so, because uh, I, I think uh, oftentimes we fall into uh, 
the habit because uh, we come from a Western uh, culture uh, that tends to compartmentalize things. And we uh, need to be reminded that God's plan goes way back. And God is not uh, taken by surprise uh, by any of uh, the evil one's devices, which have uh, actually been uh, afoot uh, even before uh, man was created. And that uh, God should uh, be so explicit about the conclusion of his program in uh, defeating uh, spiritual rebellion and uh, redeeming mankind, that it's fitting that a number of the explicit references to that inclusion be found so far back in the Old Testament. And uh, actually, you can trace uh, that theme right back uh, to uh, the first uh, chapters of Genesis, as far as that is concerned. So uh, it, is, it is a broad question, but uh, God would like us to uh, think, uh, to use a, a popular term these days, holistically about history. Exactly. And what we're talking about is the big picture. So we we read the Bible from cover to cover through various books, but if we step back and we say, now what is it that the whole Bible is trying to tell us? There is a big picture here of God uh, creating, redeeming, rescuing, and uh, ennobling humanity. And uh, in those three or four words, we get the big picture of what the Bible is all about. Jim, uh, the second aspect here is, is a very interesting one. Uh, you take uh, extra care to note that uh, there is a term that is introduced into the scripture uh, by the Holy Spirit through uh, Daniel the prophet uh, that is critical to the flow of God's outworking of all of this. And it's the term mystery uh, found many times in chapter 2 and chapter 4, I think uh, 7 and 8 and 9 and other places uh, in uh, the book of Daniel. Uh, this concept of mystery uh, and how it governs the end times, um, what is the essential meaning and nature of the term mystery, both in Daniel and in the New Testament, where, of course, it uh, occurs in a different language uh, in the Gospels and the Epistles and the book of Revelation. Well, John, this is uh, indeed a key concept that uh, was renewed for me. I must confess I missed the import of reading the background to mystery whenever it comes up in the New Testament, which, as I said before, is about 20-some times, and I deal with this in the introduction to my book. In fact, I would read respond to all of the things that we're dealing with in this uh, episode by saying that much of what we're talking about during this episode is found in the introduction to my book. Uh, so I discovered uh, when I went back to read Daniel that the term mystery is found here only in this book. He had the first prophet statesman to uh, use the term. There are hints of it way back in the book of Job the fact that God does secret things or is, is uh, reveals things in the dark and so forth. And there's a mm -hmm. reference to it in Ecclesiastes in a 
sort of obscure way. And I think that idea uh, was what led Daniel to camp on it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and to realize that this is the key to understanding the prophecies of the end time. Now, mystery by itself simply means a secret. And biblically speaking, it's a secret that God has that he that men cannot understand or derive or, or uh, plunge or probe. Uh, but God has to reveal the content of it. Uh, so this is different than our modern concept of what may be mysterious. We're talking about a certain body of truth or revelation unknown to humankind that God himself must reveal. And we read the revelation of this, the revealing of it, in Daniel chapter 2. It's a remarkable account. I'm not going to go into detail about that here, but every listener ought to uh, read Daniel 2, after chapter 1, of course, too. But nonetheless, it is a marvelous thing uh, what happens in chapter 2. Daniel is at the point of being put to death because no one can tell Nebuchadnezzar what his dream is and what it means. Daniel says there is a God in heaven who has secrets. And um, don't uh, kill anyone. I will reveal the mystery tomorrow, he tells Nebuchadnezzar. So he and his three friends pray. And then they trust God. And indeed, God reveals to Daniel uh, the, the uh, meaning of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and it comes under the rubric, the title of the word mystery. In sum, mystery means that God has a plan that he's working out on earth that has come from heaven, and it deals with the fact that God knows all the future rulers and empires that are going to come on earth. He knows how humanity is going to be rescued from the grasp, we could say, of Satan, and that he's going to elevate his people through a Messiah that he's going to bring about uh, in the person of Jesus Christ, rescue humanity, and bring together the world's people into a new body, which we call the church, but that's covered by mystery, mentioned in Daniel chapter 7. Uh, so, so the word mystery is the key to understanding what is Daniel all about? All the subsequent chapters of Daniel, going through chapter 12, come under this rubric or title of the word mystery? Well, it's very, uh, uh, as, as you have, uh, I was going to say prognosticated uh, in order, so I didn't have to say that you were going to prophesy that we weren't going to finish uh, this <laughs> podcast today. We've barely made it through the, uh, we haven't even made it halfway through the second aspect, the term of mystery. There's some things that I'd like to ask you a little bit more about the term mystery, uh, not just as it is found in the book of Daniel, but how it's used in the New Testament. Apparently, mystery uh, occurs uh, in many aspects and is applied to a number of issues, even outside of the flow of history. Uh, and so we'll talk perhaps next week with uh, how mystery can function as a bridge in the progress of revelation through the scripture and, and um, whether there's a sense in which the concept of mystery retains its nature and function even today for believers. I'll look yeah. forward to that, uh, Jim. And in the meantime, I just uh, want to remind people that uh, you can uh, get a copy of this uh, book with uh, flashy uh, 
flashy color uh, cover and whatnot that will really get your attention uh, by uh, going online to Amazon.com or by contacting uh, you yourself. And uh, we'll look forward to a, a time uh, in the coming week when we can finish off this review. All right. Well, I think that's a wonderful way to stop uh, here. So next time we'll take up some of the uh, other ways that mystery is used in the New Testament. It's quite broad and quite uh, uh, comprehensive. And uh, we'll go on from there, eventually talking about the restrainer and then talking about how do we interpret or understand uh, the Bible regarding prophecy. That is, uh, how does uh, the Bible itself teach us how to interpret prophecy? and Apocalypse, which is a form of literature that, such as we find in Daniel and in the book of Revelation. So I look forward to that with you, John, and I appreciate your help. All right, and back at you, and have a blessed week, dear brother. Thank you. You too. All right. Bye now. Good afternoon, John. Good afternoon, Jim. How are you today? I'm fine. It's a delight to uh, greet you once again and to engage another episode of our podcast. Well, I'm delighted to be here. I was going to do it out on my patio because it's so nice this afternoon. But yes, I it would, is. I, I would be able to silence my wind chime, but I don't think I can silence the song sparrows in my yard. They'd be a distraction. Well, <laughs> well they, they would be a, a delightful background, perhaps. <laughs> if a distracting would. In any case, today we do episode 19. Uh, this is a continuation of part one in our last episode, number 18, in which uh, you, John, are conducting an interview of me in light of the publication of my new book titled The Apocalypse is Coming, which happens to be the title of this podcast as well. And the last time we got started in that interview, and there are basically three or four big questions that you wanted to ask me. And we dealt with some preliminary questions last time, such as uh, why is it that I decided to write the book and how long was that process and what, consider, what special considerations went into the process. Um, then you began with the first big question, uh, the appearance of the Antichrist. Why did I get involved in writing about the Antichrist and how significant is he? And uh, in, in brief, I simply said that Apart from uh, what the Bible says about the return of Jesus Christ, more space and time is given to him in the Bible, both in the Old and in the New Testament, than any other event of the end times. I was significantly surprised at this as I wrote the book and uh, was uh, delightfully uh, uh, engaged in the process of uh, uncovering what Daniel in particular says about him, Daniel the first person in the Old Testament to mention him, and then how Daniel influences Jesus, Paul, and John in the New Testament. So uh, the Antichrist is a compelling, compelling topic, a bigger-than-life figure, you might say, that will appear in the end times, and we ought to be alerted to uh, what the Bible has to say about him. And in studying him, we overlap with all kinds of other concepts of the end times, including uh, the second coming of Christ and the events of the rapture, the great tribulation, and so forth. 
Uh, secondly, you asked about the concept of mystery, and here's where we want to wrap up that uh, discussion briefly. Uh, so you want to pick that up at this point, John? Well, yeah. How, how would you how would you describe the concept concept of mystery and how it governs the end time events, particularly? Well, most evangelicals would uh, answer that question by saying that mystery is not something as we think of it today as something mysterious, but rather uh, something that uh, that God knows and that human beings cannot uh, uncover or discern except by it being given by revelation in the Bible from God himself through the spirit uh, using human authors. In other words, it is knowledge known only to God, supernatural knowledge, which he has chosen to reveal to humanity. So in the book of Daniel, where mystery first occurs, just like the Antichrist first appearing there, uh, mystery covers the entire course of future history from Daniel's time onward uh, to the end of time, including the end times and the second coming of Christ. It is a uh, uh, very comprehensive term. In Daniel, it covers uh, the four big empires that go forward from Daniel's time, plus a fifth empire to appear at the end of the age, uh, headed up by Antichrist. And it is at that time that Jesus Christ will come back as warrior and set up his own kingdom that will reign and fill over uh, all of the earth. So mystery covers that. It covers or includes the Antichrist. It includes uh, uh, the future salvation of the Gentiles. When we get to the New Testament, it helps us to define the kingdom of Christ. Jesus says in Matthew 13, uh, I want to reveal to you the mystery of the kingdom. That is a very significant passage. In that uh, chapter, Jesus talks about seven parables, and he relates to his apostles that uh, these parables are meant to inform them and enlighten the truth, but hide it from those who are opposed to the truth. So the kingdom is part of the message of the mystery, and the mystery that is revealed in the kingdom is that the kingdom that is future coming with the uh, return of Jesus Christ and in the meantime as well right now that kingdom will involve the salvation of both Jew and Gentile and in the end uh, Jew, Jew and Gentile are thought of thought of as one people so when we get to the book of uh, Romans uh, Paul the apostle uses uh, the word mystery about 20 times uh, very prolific, and I think he is indebted to Daniel, and all of his uses find their seed thought in Daniel. And it's significant that uh, one of his uses in Romans uh, identifies Israel's restoration, that's chapter 11, 1125, I think it is, and that's titled Mystery. And then Paul has a significant verse at the very end of his epistle, Romans 1625, and he says this, and I'm going to quote now this text. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but mm -hmm. now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. So the very last thoughts of Paul when he pens the book of Romans is to take us back to the great promise found in Daniel 7 
that when mm -hmm. Jesus Christ returns, his kingdom will involve both uh, Jews and peoples from all nations and tongues and languages and, and, uh, and nations. And that's what Paul is alluding to here. And he said that his preaching of the gospel is in keeping with the revelation of the mystery that had been hidden for long ages past and now revealed through the prophetic writings. I think that's a reference to Daniel. Uh, so that the Gentiles might come to the obedience of the faith uh, when they believe in the gospel centered about Jesus Christ. So the mystery is a, a deep and profound term. The final uses in the New Testament referred uh, are, are used by John, the apostle, in the book of Revelation. He refers to uh, the seven churches of Asia. Uh, he refers to other concepts there and altogether uh, four different uses, if, if I recall correctly. And the final two are centered around Babylon and uh, mystery Babylon, which is code language for the Antichrist and the spirit of Antichrist that has prevailed through all Gentile nations beginning with the very first ones after the Tower of Babel up until Daniel's time and beyond even into our time mm -hmm. and will be culminated in the end times by the revelation of the uh, Antichrist and his uh, attempt to take over worldwide leadership and control and um, prevent Jesus Christ from reigning but, but the Lord will come and in power and glory uh, destroyed the Antichrist and his work. So that is a brief overview of all the various uh, ideas, and we haven't even covered them all, involved in the term mystery. Well, mystery then is really a fundamental concept in the progress of... It really is. And the predominant use that Paul makes is talking about the mystery of the church, that it is composed of one new people, both Jew and Gentile, what the seed thought of that is in Daniel chapter 7, in which, again, as I mentioned a moment ago, uh, in the future coming and reign of Jesus Christ, all the nations will be represented in his kingdom. Very interesting. All right, let's move on to uh, the two remaining uh, items, and hopefully we'll be able to uh, address them uh, adequately in the time remaining. There are two things uh, immediately, uh, Jim, that uh, uh, present themselves as distinctives about your book. Now, I may add a couple of other things later on, but at least the two that uh, occur to me at the moment are, first of all, it's comprehensive nature on the subject, uh, not just of the end, uh, the end times, but of the Antichrist in particular. But the second one, the second distinctive of the book is your defense not just of uh, government as the restraining influence uh, against him currently, but particularly in these last days that the United States uh, distinctively uh, is uh, fulfilling that role. And in addressing some questions about uh, the restrainer, uh, I would like to, if you don't mind, read the appropriate verses out of Second Thessalonians uh, that speak about it and him. Uh, do you mind if I do that out of chapter two, Jim? No, that's uh, wonderful that you do that. All right. Well, I'm going to pick up, uh, I might as well read just from uh, down through verse seven uh, from the beginning of the chapter. 
where Paul writes, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together with him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word, or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes a seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, boy, to have been in some of uh, Paul's eschatology classes there in Thessalonica so early in the history of the church would have really been something. Yes. And then he goes on, and then he goes on to say in verse six, and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is taken out of the way. Now, Jim, there's two very interesting things here. In verse 6, uh, the restraining, uh, the restrainer is spoken of as an it. There's a, there's a verbal form for all of you uh, English teachers and officiandos out there. It's, it's a participle, but it's a neuter participle. So it's uh, dealt with in verse 6 as a thing. But in verse 7, the participle for the same verb is there, but it is a masculine participle. And so therefore, Paul deals with the restrainer as a person. So that's critical, I think, to our understanding and our unpacking of this text. Um, there's a couple of questions, and you can address that here uh, in a moment as, as you find appropriate. Um, how is it that, in addition, you take the view that uh, human government uh, is a restrainer and perhaps uh, the leader of the distinctive government in a in particular time uh, takes up the position of the restrainer being a person? But how is it that you come to human government, uh, particularly over some of the other things that the church's scholars through the ages have proposed being uh, the restrainer? Well, I think that the answer encompasses both history and theology or biblical teaching. In Paul's day, the Roman Empire certainly was supreme and exercised its power greater than perhaps any other empire before it and did so perhaps in a manner more uh, authoritarian and evil, wicked, uh, than any empire before it as well. Uh, so dealing with both history and theology or biblical teaching is how I arrive at the, uh, my, my uh, understanding of who the restrainer is. Uh, as you said, this text identified the restrainer both as a thing or an it on the one hand, and then as a masculine or a person on the other hand. Uh, in the history of the church, the predominant view has been that this is human government. In more recent years, the idea that this represents the Holy Spirit sent forth to restrain evil 
uh, has become a very strong view among evangelicals, among Christians in general. Uh, I noticed that the Schofield Bible takes that, and that's the Bible I grew up on many years ago. Uh, and that uh, view has uh, become quite steadfast and hard set in many, uh, in, in the minds of many. But I, in, in looking at this and studying it, found that uh, the predominant view in the history of the church has been human government or something similar to that. It could refer mm -hmm. to law that accompanies human government, the order that comes from that, and so mm -hmm. forth. And so uh, thinking of that in general as human government, certainly uh, the human government and the law that prevailed at Paul's time was Rome. But uh, the idea would be that in any given age, it, it would be a government that controls and, uh, and exercises its power at a particular time. So in a given nation, uh, let's take a Poland, for example, uh, it's the Polish government that uh, keeps the law in order in their country. And throughout the ages, whatever country uh, happened to prevail, in a small way at least, it was, it, it was and should have been considered the restrainer of evil. Uh, for those who believe it is the Holy Spirit, they would appeal to uh, the, uh, pardon me, the upper room discourse in which Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would con convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Uh, and so that's a powerful uh, support. Yet I notice that it doesn't really address the issue that Paul is dealing with, and that is restraining uh, the man of lawlessness. And what I finally found convincing was to look at Romans chapter 13, uh, verses 1 through 7, in which Paul discusses government, and he exhorts the Romans, uh, the readers of his epistle to the Romans, that they ought to submit themselves to human government, for it exercises uh, authority and power represented by its sword, namely uh, a symbol of its ability to put to death or to exercise law in lesser degrees, and that uh, it should command and com uh, command the uh, respect of all Christians everywhere and other people as well. So that was convincing to me to see the parallel between what Paul says here in 2 Thessalonians 2 and in Romans 13. So I take it that uh, throughout history, it has been government and law government uh, exercises law by various ways and only in modern times of course has that come about by a republican democratic form of government namely the united states so as i thought about that and put together facts from history and from uh, the bible i be i've become convinced pretty well that uh, the restrainer today that government today that fits that bill best is uh, the united states of america and I take a whole chapter, the very first chapter of the book, to defend that view. And, and to summarize, what, what uniquely uh, enables the United States uh, in this day to fit the bill as the last and most important expression of uh, the term restrainer? Well, I guess in summary, because there's a lot of facts that I cite in chapter one, but in summary, I'd say that uh, in the 20th century, the United States rose to uh, a worldwide influence uh, right around 1900 and uh, began exercising its power both to restrain evil, and we can think of World War I, World War II, and the subsequent Korean War and other wars. Mm -hmm. uh, and the United States, uh, you might say, became the savior of, of uh, Western Europe, at least, during those world wars. 
and subsequently since then has exercised a significant degree of restraint to prevent other uh, 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 powerful people from taking control of either their territory or additional lands. Uh, so the United States has done that uh, in a significant way as no other country in the history of the world has done. I mean, that, having said that, that ought to basically uh, prove my point. There is another, no other nation in the 20th century that has risen to the power and predominance and influence that the United States has. What, what practical uh, effect, uh, Jim, do you think this view should have on today's American believer? Well, uh, another thought comes to mind, John, before I answer that, and that is uh, I want to make the point, because you drew upon this issue uh, when you read the verses, that, uh, the, that, that the restrainers referred to both as a thing and as a person or uh, personally, and therefore I would represent uh, how the United States fills that bill, or any government for that matter, in the fact that the thing is government and law, and the... Uh, uh, personal thing, a uh, person reference, personal reference is the ruler of that country or government and subsequent rulers. So as, uh, for me, as representative of the entire nation. Yes. And or so, kingdom, that, so, so, and, and the Old Testament interestingly makes this distinction and Paul does too. I think back to Daniel again, in which he says to Nebuchadnezzar to re, as he reveals the dream that Nebuchadnezzar has had of the giant statue. Uh, and he says to Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. But he also refers to the head of gold as a kingdom, namely Babylon. So here we have both the government and the person, the ruler of that government represented. And, um, and, and, and fittingly, I might add that uh, if, if he didn't comport himself appropriately in that role, God would be uh, well disposed to take him out of the way, which he did. As he did, yes, and was uh, replaced by the next uh, great empire, Media Persia, and then subsequently Greece and Rome. Now, well, uh, let's return to your question. I forgot now what it was. What practical effect should this view have on today's American believer that the U.S. Uh, could well be the uh, restrainer in the end time? Well, this leads to uh, my defense of what I wrote in the first chapter dealing with the United States as the restrainer and subsequently to the conclusion when I return to that issue and I ask how is the United States doing in respect to its role as the restrainer of evil? Remember, that's what the restrainer is all about, to restrain right. evil or lawlessness. Well, I said a moment ago that during the 20th century, by and large, the United States did this on a worldwide scale or multinational scale. But what I see happening in the 21st century is very troubling. And it began way back uh, 40 or 50, 60 years ago. But that is an affront taken by uh, various segments of the American population to oppose the United States and to find uh, and magnify its weaknesses and its faults so as to somehow discredit its entire uh, uh, reality as a uh, restrainer of evil. And, and what is deeply troubling is to see that the government itself, by institutional uh, action, namely law and court decisions, has embraced evil that is uh, very much uh, against the uh, righteousness of the Bible. For example, abortion. 
or I might say uh, gay rights and all the rest of that, the LGBTQ people and, and so forth, uh, gambling and so forth, all the, all the vices, the, the sexual exploitation, uh, uh, the, the slavery of uh, young girls and so forth uh, that is becoming uh, prolific in our society, I, I understand. All the evils that have been taking place uh, are, are those things that strike a dagger in the heart of the American enterprise, the American system, uh, so as to weaken it and its credibility and its claim to be a restrainer of evil. And I say in the conclusion of my book, uh, America is in peril for losing its distinction as the restrainer. And if America goes away, it seems to me that the only next logical step on the, on the stage of history and in the uh, stage of the Bible is uh, the, the Antichrist going to be revealed. So yeah, all of this argues that the end times are very close. Go ahead. Right. There, there certainly doesn't seem to be anybody standing in the wings. Yes, well, now some people would say, and I asked this question in, in the conclusion, what about China? Couldn't it not become the restrainer? And I say, no. <laughs> I say, no, look what's happening, John. You and I have been part of history taking place in the last month in which China has become more autocratic, more evil, more uh, uh, the communist part, I should say, which controls China, becoming more uh, predominant and, and, and cutting off rights that Chinese people have had, and particularly people in Hong Kong, and exercising this power through its various schools and economic relief or relief sent to other countries all across the world, including Africa and the Middle East. It's extending its evil reach. And so China cannot become, could not be considered the restrainer of evil in its present form. All right, well, let's, let's move on to number four. See if you can handle this in five minutes. The final consideration that you uh, pose in your book is the proper means of interpreting uh, the scriptures, particularly uh, regarding uh, end time and last day issues. Uh, and yes, and I, I'm I'm advised right off that the study of the Bible on issues regarding the end times covers at least four distinct types of literature. There's prophecy, which represented by the book of Daniel, uh, narrative, what Jesus has to say about uh, the end times in the gospels. And then there's the epistolary uh, form of literature used by the letters of the churches, uh, specifically in what Paul has to say. And then there is that unique uh, form of literature called Apocalypse, uh, which is the book of Revelation. How would you describe a consistent way of interpretation for all of these separate varieties? Well, in a word, I would say it is to take the Bible in its normal, uh, everyday sense of uh, the meaning of words, or another way to say it, it's literal uh, understanding, literal interpretation, literal approach. In other words, we take words uh, in their context as and their meaning as determined by history, by the context in which they are found, and their normal use. Uh, 
this means, uh, therefore, what we call literal interpretation is to be preferred over another major way of interpreting the Bible, and that is called uh, figurative or allegorical interpretation. Figurative interpretation became the predominant way of interpreting the Bible from the time of, of uh, uh, help me here, John, the church father of the fifth, fourth, fifth centuries. Oh, uh, yeah. Yes, I, I'm Augustine. 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 Yes. And thank and, you. Your brain freeze lasted a little bit less than mine did. Yeah. Well, uh, Augustine, who was preceded by Origen and his multiple ways of interpreting the Bible, uh, but Augustine uh, and his followers and subsequent uh, history in the Roman Catholic Church became the predominant way of interpreting the Bible, looking for figurative meanings uh, throughout, without really any justification. And that uh, way of interpreting the Bible was finally corrected at the Reformation under Calvin, Luther, Zwingli, and others, who said, let's return to what the Bible says in its normal understanding of words. And that led to uh, the Great Reformation and the change in our understanding of soteriology, how people are saved, uh, and so forth. Uh, unfortunately, the Reformers did not re-examine their eschatology, their study of the end times, and so that has prevailed on in the great uh, major denominations of uh, Western Europe and the United States, namely, namely the Anglican Church, the Episcopal Church, the Lutheran Church, uh, the Reformed Church by and large, and so forth. So that way of viewing the Bible is what we would call uh, amillennial, and I'll get back to that term in a moment, but it's a figurative and a spiritual interpretation. And I was amazed that I wrote uh, chapters one and two and so forth, how that uh, when you study the book of Daniel, uh, Daniel and Jesus and Paul uh, and John and the New Testament cannot be understood consistently apart from taking their words in their normal literal sense. For example, Daniel, he, he recounts history uh, and prophecy as it goes forward and finds four great empires, Babylon, Media, Persia, Greece, and Rome. Everybody understands those as being literal empires. But he also talks about a fifth empire coming after the Roman Empire, perhaps uh, an extension and rebirth of what the old Roman Empire was. And it consists of 10 horns or 10, 10 kings and kingdoms. And at this point, our millennial interpretation or figurative interpretation says, well, there's not going to be a literal kingdom yet to come headed by Antichrist. There is no literal Antichrist. There's no actual single person like that. Uh, there is no great tribulation of seven years, uh, as Daniel chapter 9 teaches. And so we go up to uh, through four kingdoms, take them all literally, everybody does, and all of a sudden we switch and say, well, yeah. uh, the writers of scripture were wrong in, in prophesying a fifth kingdom to come of the Antichrist, and even more wrong yet in regards to the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ. Jesus' kingdom is not going to be a literal, actual kingdom on earth uh, sometime in the future, but it's a spiritual rule of Jesus Christ in the hearts of people now when they come to Christ and accept him by faith. And so they interpret the mystery of the kingdom in Matthew 13 as referring to a, a new meaning that departs from Daniel and, uh, and, and it is located in what Jesus is doing today, saving people uh, who come to him by faith, and there is no future realization of his reign on earth, contrary to what Daniel said. So, so we essentially, go, go ahead. So, so essentially what you're saying 
is there is an inherent inconsistency that exists within the figurative interpretation that's employed, uh, that's been employed by great portions of uh, Christendom. Yes, it is a great inconsistency. And I've used the word now a couple of times on millennialism, which means uh, no millennium, because John in Revelation chapter 20 talks about a millennial kingdom of Jesus on earth. So people who believe in an actual historical kingdom to come on earth, ruled by Jesus Christ, are called premillennialists because Jesus returns at the beginning to establish that kingdom, much in accord with Daniel, Daniel chapters 7, 8, 9, 10 through 12, and so forth. Amillennialists deny that that's going to ever take place, that it's a spiritual kingdom only, God's rule in our hearts, uh, and therefore never realize in physical form on a, a future, in a future time on this planet. Mm. Uh, so amillennialists deny a literal interpretation and understanding of the kingdom. Premillennialists affirm such. Jim, I have one final question. Okay. What's, what, what do you feel is the greatest hindrance in most believers' hesitancy in studying this subject? And a second one, uh, a corollary to that is, how can that hindrance be overcome? Well, I don't know if I can identify what is the greatest hindrance, but there are several hindrances. Uh, in studying prophecy in general or apocalypse as Daniel and partial portions of the revelation and Jesus teaching involves uh, seem to be so mysterious and difficult to understand uh, because there's a great deal of symbolism and figurative language, which we have to interpret and understand. Uh, there have been so many false prophecies and predictions of when Jesus is going to return. Uh, mm -hmm. I cited a while ago, a moment ago in regards to uh, the failure of the Reformation to go on and deal with eschatology and rethink it. Uh, and, and I think that uh, it's a shame, therefore, that uh, pastors in churches, especially mainline denominational churches, scarcely get into prophecy because they don't want to cause ripples among the people in the congregation who may differ from them or differ between uh, one preacher and another in another local church, and on and on it goes. The major uh, way to overcome all, all of this is simply to study the Bible and read these portions and compare Daniel with Matthew 24 and 2 Thessalonians 2 and Revelation chapters 11 through 19, because they're all interrelated. They're all uh, flowing out of the book of Daniel. And little by little, we can gain an understanding if we'll correlate all of these teachings and bring them together. And that's what I try to do in my book. You know, you, you, a person will never learn how to swim unless he gets in the pool. <laughs> yes. Well, I want to remind our listeners that uh, the reason we're addressing uh, what we are addressing today in, in our last uh, episode before this one is because in the very prologue of my book, I cite these three or four major considerations that we've just dealt with. The appearance of the Antichrist, the concept of mystery, the idea of the restrainer, and then how does that affect biblical interpretation? Or putting it the other way, how should our biblical interpretation cause us to understand these great prophetic and eschatological teachings? I hope that our listeners will uh, 
read the prologue then, because that's where these four issues are raised. And uh, at the end of the prologue, I give a list of about 25 different uh, distinctives of my book. Some are taught and uh, read elsewhere, but some are unique. And I'd encourage people to, uh, out of curiosity, if nothing else, to take up the book and read. I think it is truly fulfilling and delightful to discover that there is a great plan that God is working it is being accomplished today as it was yesterday and will be tomorrow. We are somewhere on a spectrum of historical fulfillment. We don't know just where that may be, but here in the year 2021, or pardon me, 2020, we are seeing all kinds of portents of what the end times may indeed be, look like with the pandemic, the uh, national and even worldwide protests and the breakdown of law and order, and on and on it goes. Uh, Jim, how do folks get a copy of your book? Uh, they can go to uh, Amazon and order it from the book list there uh, by title and by author uh, and contact me. And if they contact me directly, I'll give away a free copy. <laughs> you can't beat that. But if you get it on Amazon, I think the price is 20 bucks which is, uh, which is uh, really quite a, quite a reasonable price for a book of uh, well more than 400 pages here. And yeah. so uh, I've appreciated the opportunity to do this interview regarding your book. And needless to say, we'll be touching on uh, more content from it in uh, episodes to come. Great. I look forward to that. Thank you, John. Very good. Have a great day. And I might mention that the book is available in digital form, too, from Amazon, so people don't have to purchase the paper copy. Well, we're all up to date these days. <laughs> yes. All right. All have right, a good day, John. You too. Bye-bye.